Okay, good morning, everybody, and welcome to this week's virtual plant clinic. My name is Bill Lester. I'm with University of Florida Extension Service here in Hernando County. And today, my regular co-host, Lily Browning, is not with me. She's off on vacation or doing something. I don't even know where she is or what she's doing. She's gone for a couple of weeks, but today we have a real special guest, Deanna Brock. And Deanna is our new 4-H program assistant here with Hernando County Extension. And her undergraduate degree was in agricultural communication. Is that what you told me? Agricultural education and communication, yes. Okay, so if you guys have any plant-related questions, lawn and garden kind of questions, go ahead and put them in the chat and I'll answer them. And then Deanna can clean up my answer so that you can actually understand it. So we'll work together as a team today, I guess. There you go. And I see we have at least a few people on here today. Uh, Monique is one of our regular weekly viewers. Good morning, Monique. And Buddy is up in the panhandle. Good morning, Buddy. How are you? And Basem is on here. Gosh, we have a bunch of people tuning in. So, Deanna, why don't you tell everybody just what exactly you do here at work. Not that you don't, you're not really busy and you don't do a lot, just kind of give them an idea of what you do at 4-H. Yeah, of course. So I am the Hernando County 4-H program assistant. So um, I've been here since July and I have a few main projects that I've been working on. We worked, I worked very closely with Dr. Nancy Moores and we uh, conducted our annual award banquet in August. That was one of my biggest projects, getting that put together, the program designed, and uh, just implementing our awards banquet. Um, another thing that I'm trying to get started is um, some day camps. So I have a plan in place to do a tailgating day camp in December, and then I'm starting to plan out and uh, just think of ideas for some summer day camps that would be of interest to our 4-H youth. So I'm working very closely um, with Dr. Nancy, doing all of that. And then um, we are also trying to get the county council started. So it's a leadership opportunity for our older 4-H youth to kind of implement some county programs. So uh, community service, fundraisers, uh, and any sort of education materials that they want to present to their uh, fellow peers. So we're working on getting all of that started. 4-H in general, we're getting our year started. Um, we have a few leaders meetings and getting out and uh, supporting our clubs and getting those started for the year. We're really excited. That sounds like a lot of fun. Yeah, I hope so. I hope the kids love it. <laughs> <laughs> well, it sounds like more fun than my last day or two has been. I was at a conference last week, so that's why I wasn't on here. But... Lily was here and did a fantastic job. She had Brittany, who is our C grant agent on. So if any of you missed it, you can go back and watch us. Gosh, we're on our Facebook page. We're on our Facebook group. We're on YouTube. We have a podcast on Anchor Podcasting. So during the morning today, I'll try to show all those links. But I was at a conference and now... I came back to work yesterday and I spent about a full day just doing paperwork and verifying charges. So, so what you guys do sounds like a lot more fun than what I have to do. <laughs> Some paperwork, not as much. 
Okay, we got a bunch of people coming on here, and one of them is Tammy Katz, one of our Master Gardener volunteers. Good morning, Tammy. How are you? And Tammy is going to be helping with the class that we have coming up near the end of October. And in the next week or two, as soon as I get them all laid out and posted on Facebook, next week I'll have more information on this. We're going to have a whole series of classes, just like we've done before, called Food Systems in Season. And Tammy is going to help with one on goats. So you want to be here at the office on, I believe it's October 27th, because Tammy's going to be here with baby goats. And Laura's going to be here talking about how to care for goats. And if you're interested or kind of kicking around the idea, I like goats, I want to have a bunch of goats in my yard. Everything you need to think about before you go out and start buying goats, because I mean, I don't know anything about raising goats, I'll be honest with you. So but I would learn first before I went out and started trying to, you know, raise them in my backyard. So, uh, yeah, everybody likes baby goats. Every time that we've done this before live online, we've had baby goats. It's always been a hit. So, uh, Deanna, you want to try to be here that day? We'll, we'll give you cameo appearance. We'll, we'll squeeze you and we'll let you hold a goat. Sounds good. So what does 4-H do in general? Because, for anybody watching who's not familiar with, I mean, you're probably familiar with what I do with Extension. We answer homeowner lawn and garden questions. We also have agents that work with commercial farmers and ranchers and people who raise goats, teaching them how to care for them and helping to answer their questions and problems. We still have family consumer services agents who do things like um, uh, financial advice and financial training, teaching people how to do everything from like, keep a checkbook to hopefully get out of debt and stay out of debt. And we also have 4-H. So if you've ever heard of the 4-H program, that's part of extension for anybody who didn't know. So Deanna kind of just in general, what is 4-H involved? What, what are you guys trying to do? So um, 4-H is a youth development program. So our main goal is youth development and to help these, uh, youth grow and have these experiences that are going to last them a lifetime. So one of the ways that we accomplish this is the youth complete projects every year. So our projects can vary from anything. We have a lot of animal science within Hernando County. So goats, deer, pigs, chickens, rabbits, all that. They raise them, they show them, sometimes they sell them. Do they um, raise goats? They do. We do have some youth who have done goats. That's how I got started. I raised goats. So that's how I got started in 4-H. The goats roped me in. I mean, how can't they? They're so cute. They really are. I've visited people who raised goats before, and they are very cute and adorable. They're very, very active. They love to jump on top of things and stand on top of uh, hay bales and buckets oh, yeah. and everything else. Yeah. So 4-H provides um, youth those opportunities. And then we have a lot of um, shooting sports as well in Hernando County. So we have archery, shotgun, and rifle that the youth learn about the safety and they practice with their leaders um, who are have to go through specialized trainings and all of that. So it's an uh, informal education program where they gain the uh, 
They gain the knowledge, they gain the experience. We've got science programs, um, a lot of STEM. STEM is a big thing coming through 4-H that we want to provide those opportunities for science and technology and engineering and math. That seems to be the future on where everyone's going. So 4-H likes to stay involved and stay relevant. So we have a lot of those opportunities. And then um, healthy living is a big thing in 4-H as well. So there's um, a physical, um, so a lot of the physical health and working out and staying active as well as the nutrition and teaching you uh, what you should be eating, uh, the nutrients in your body, what's required. So it's a lot about um, opportunities for youth to grow. And then it is a youth-led organization. So there's a lot of leadership opportunities as well. Youth uh, within the clubs and the counties, they're, uh, they can gain officer positions. So like president, vice president, and they run the meetings and they kind of decide what the goals are for the year, what the club wants to accomplish, things like that. So there's a lot of opportunities within 4-H for youth really focused on developing these youth to be the leaders for tomorrow. Okay, and if anybody has any other further questions, there's Deanna's email. You can go ahead and shoot her an email. And, you know, we have a lot of people who tune in to this plant clinic on a regular basis that live anywhere from the Panhandle to Pinellas County to Broward County and all over, pretty much from one end of Florida to the other. So. So if somebody has a question about 4-H in their county, you can probably point them in the right direction, can't you? Yeah, absolutely. I can get you to the right person that you need to be in contact with. Okay, because, you know, there are 67 counties in Florida, and we have 67 extension offices in Florida, so every county has one. It may be a really big office, and some of them have, like, oh, my gosh, like 30 people or more working at them. Others are very small offices, I know Dixie County. Do you know where Dixie County is, north of here? Mm, I've heard of it. It's the other side of Levy County. Okay, it's, yeah. They have an extension office, and I think they have one agent and one part-time secretary, and that's it. So, oh, wow. Yeah, your office may be very, very small, but you have an office. So There you go. Okay. You know, if you wanted to do like a 4-H program with um, yoga with baby goats here at the office, we could probably get creative and pull something like that together. Just saying. That would be fun. That would be a lot of fun. I um, When I was in Gainesville getting my degree, I actually stayed with a lady who did goat yoga. So that was my job as I worked on her farm and we took care of the goats and hosted goat yoga every Saturday. So. Oh, wow. Yeah, you actually know how to do it. I'm not the good yoga instructor, but I participated. <laughs> we may have to do something with that. I like doing kind of creative things because something like that is going to make for fantastic pictures and video also. So. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And tie that into our healthy living. It does tie in uh, yoga, meditation, healthy eating, relaxation. All of those, all of those are really important. And gardening ties in with it also. Um, and there's a lot of research that shows the health benefits of gardening. The, anything from fresh air to sunshine to actually focusing on trying to grow plants. It's not always easy. Oh, I understand. I, I have a black thumb personally. And I have managed to keep 
one of my succulents alive for the last year. So I'm very excited. Well, I have killed more vegetable plants than I think anybody else in the world. But every once in a while, I get lucky with them, too, and everything kind of works out. Um, are you familiar with something called calabasa? It's also called Cuban pumpkin. It's a winter squash. Yes, pumpkin, yes. I have it growing in my backyard, and I need to pick the first one because it's after they form, you're supposed to let it sit for like 55 days, and it gets to its full size. Okay. It's, I'm serious, it's, it's like this big. It's going to be about a 30, 40 pounder is my guess. Oh, wow. So, yeah, I'm pretty proud of that one. There you go. That's exciting. So I'll have pictures to show, to share with everybody else next week about how mine did and how easy it was to grow and generally low maintenance. It's, oh my gosh, the vines have taken over about one fourth of my entire backyard. So they spread, but I, actually going to get lucky with this one and get something from it that's exciting <clears throat> so if anybody has any lawn and garden or plant or um vegetable questions or calabasa questions go ahead and share them and we do have a few on here so alicia good morning alicia says her first question is she has a fox fern and it's dying and it looks like it's yellowing so Deanna, if you want to take a shot at that, if you want to jump it, you just push me out of the way and jump right in if you have an idea what it could be. So I did teach plant science a little bit. Um, so yellowing, my guess would be yellowing would be a nutrition deficit. Would be my first guess. That could be. That is that is a possibility. Um, fox fern. Fox fern is a native fern, and I believe it's a native fern, and ferns can suffer from a lot of different things. Ferns are a little fussy about their environment, so hopefully your fern is growing in a fairly shady spot. A lot of times they can take some sun, but not a lot. They really like speckled sun that comes through oak trees or tree canopy. And if your fox fern is in a container, with all the rain that we've been getting, it may be getting too much water or too little water. Both of them will make it yellow. If it's just a little yellow, maybe a little bit of fertilizer would help. So fertilizer is a definite possibility. And Alicia says also her buttercup has spots on the leaves, like white spots. It's in a container and she moved it out of the rain thinking maybe it was too much water. That's something everybody needs to keep in mind that if you have something outdoors in a container right now, that's great. You can put a lot of container things outdoors if you put it in the right spot, light level wise, and let it stay out there during the summer because it really likes the warmth, the rain, the humidity. A lot of plants really benefit from that. But if you're getting a ton of rain, check that pot because it may be full of water. And unless you're growing rice, your plant's not going to be really happy. So that's going to make it turn yellow, die back, cause a lot of problems. And she says, what can I put on it to stop disease if it is disease? For buttercup, a lot of times they're going to die back to a certain extent in the fall. And almost every plant you have growing outdoors is probably going to have some kind of disease or leaf spot issue by the end of summer. 
we see people bringing in baggies and samples and send emails and pictures. Every plant gets spots by the end of summer. So <clears throat> you could try to clean it up by pruning it back a little bit. It probably does have a little touch of some kind of fungal disease. For a buttercup, I don't think I'd really bother applying a fungicide. I'm not really sure if that's necessary or not, but probably trying to prune out the older foliage, the spotted foliage, and encouraging it to grow some fresh new leaves is probably going to be the best way to go. Do you agree? Sounds great. <laughs> <laughs> okay, let's roll through some other questions because everybody's getting over their shyness and starting to ask today. So Joseph asks, what's the best time to plant cord seeds in Spring Hill? If you're daring enough to try fall corn, right now is a good time. It's a little bit easier to grow corn in the spring because corn has huge problems with caterpillars. Your corn will come up, it'll start growing, and the way corn grows, the um, leaves grow in whorls. They're in like little tight circles. And caterpillars, a couple different species, will get down in there and start eating the heck out of your corn. And you have to spray it. You can spray it with fairly organic controls, but you have to spray it a lot to keep caterpillars under control. It's really tough to grow corn. But you can plant it right now if you want to try it for the fall or the very, very end of February, very beginning of March here in Spring Hill and the rest of Central Florida if you want to do it in the spring. Have you ever tried growing corn? I have not, but I do know that corn is the only crop that grows in all 50 states. I didn't know that. So see, I learned something every week on here from somebody. Your fun fact of the day. I guess even in Alaska. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because they have a very, during summer, they have very, very long days. They grow a lot of vegetables up there, believe it or not. I see Teresa is tuning in, and she's sharing different uh, University of Florida publications and fact sheets in the chat. I know that I couldn't get by without Teresa's help. Um, Basem says that with my calabasa, save some seeds from your pumpkin. I'll do that because how I got the seeds was last year, a lady email with some questions. She took a class, you know, University of Florida has researchers that are working on all kinds of different new crops and alternative crops. Dr. Maru down in South Florida with University of Florida is working on calabasa breeding because there's like really no named varieties. There's just calabasa seeds and my seeds make really big ones and your seeds make kind of yellowish ones, but nobody has names for them or there's no organization to the breeding. And he was kind enough to come on and do a class for me. And as a matter of fact, let me go ahead and show people how, if they want to watch that class, um, bum, 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 bum. If you go to Hernando County government's YouTube channel and here you just go to YouTube, and under the little search bar, put in Hernando County Government. You're going to go to their YouTube page. If you look under the um, uh, different pages on it, 
I have one and my Calabasa class is on there. Dr. Maru taught it and a lady who watched it sent me a picture and said, I grew Calabasa and look at this one I grew. And I think I saw the picture, the lady's there and she's got this Calabasa. She's, she wasn't very tall enough. The thing's almost half as big as she is. I mean, the thing was huge. I said, oh man, that's great. And I forwarded it to Dr. Maru and he said, that's great. Can I get some seeds? <laughs> so she sent me some and sent him some to work into his research because he's always looking for the most disease resistant, most productive varieties that are going to get the biggest actual fruit on it. And so that's how I got my seeds. I will save seeds because I'm hoping to get probably four or five squash off of it. So I'll save the seeds and I'll make them available somehow to our regular listeners here on the virtual plant clinic. So I'll do that. Give me some time to grow them, pick them, save the seeds, dry them. But sometime soon we'll have some way, I'll put together some way of getting seeds mailed to everybody if you want them. So see, there are some very important benefits to tuning in here every week for the virtual plant clinic. And of course, for anybody who watches this not live after the fact, you guys can be part of this also. So I know that I show my email frequently during the hour. Feel free to, when the time comes, when you watch the recorded video saying, hey, contact me, I got seeds. Feel free to shoot me an email, email me questions, email me pictures, and we'll get your questions answered for you. And Alicia says she does have that fox fern in a pot. Yeah, check to make sure it's not like drowning. It's funny because I grow a lot of things in containers and when it's dry, I got to get out there every single day and water everything. But when it rains an awful lot, if it doesn't have really good drainage, now all of a sudden it's full of water. So it's kind of feast or famine, I guess. Okay, Sue Heron asked a question about Cuban frogs. So are you familiar with Cuban tree frogs? We had one come in the office, um, but I listened to Jim talk about it all day. So I feel like I've retained some of that, but not very much. He is the expert on that, and I need to get him on here one day one day really soon as a guest so because he knows all the all about cuban tree frogs and birds and nature photography and snakes guys don't send me bird pictures i don't know i i know what a a cardinal is and i know what a blue jay is that's kind of it <laughs> but um yesterday what was it it wasn't yesterday it was tuesday morning I was up in the front of the office talking with Teresa and we hear a clonk on the window and it's a big old Cuban tree frog that jumped and went smack out of the window. Made both of us jump. I think um, Teresa was going to do something with it, but I'm not sure exactly what. So Sue said that she captured one. Yeah, there's a lot of them around. They are not native. They're invasive. Very bad problem because a lot of times they'll eat all of our native tree frogs, toads, wildlife, everything else. Um, and 
Sue read off IFAS advisory to humanely euthanize them with Ben's okay and honest back. Yes, that is true. And I'm sure Teresa is in the process of Googling that to pull up some information. So she shares it in the chat. Go ahead and click on that. We want to encourage everybody to help control invasive species, but we want to do it humanely. So we'll just leave it at that. Cindy has one here. She said, we're getting notices to watch out for puss caterpillars. Do you know what they are? Are those the ones that are like fuzzy and they have the, like the two antennas and uh, they're like yellowy kind of like a cream or yellow color? Yeah, they're usually kind of cream colored. They're very, very furry. And if you look at them, they have no really noticeable head or rear end or legs or anything. You know, you know, kind of how it got its name. No. Have you ever had a cat for a pet? I do. Yes. Did it ever throw up a hairball? Oh, no. Oh, okay. Well, we've had many cats over the years and our cats have had many hairballs and puss caterpillars kind of look like a hairball. So okay. they're, it's a very, very fuzzy kind of wide caterpillar. And it almost looks like kind of a really a fuzzy blob. But I've noticed in on Facebook, in, in my email, and different articles that people with University of Florida are getting published, it's that time of year, and they're putting a lot of articles out about them. They can be very dangerous because if you accidentally touch one, some of the spines, not all of them, but some of the, the spines or the little um, hairs they have on them are urticating. U-R-T-I-C-A-T-I-N-G, and I learned that in entomology class, which means they're poisonous. So the hair is connected to a little poison sac inside the caterpillar, and if you touch the hair, it injects you with a tiny bit of poison. I've never been stung by one, but I've heard that it hurts really, really bad. And a lot of people will go to the hospital or go see the doctor. And they say, not a whole lot we can do. It'll go away in about 24 hours. <laughs> we'll, we'll keep an eye on you and make sure you're okay. But um, they are found in oak trees. So watch out for the puss caterpillars. If Teresa's still watching. Oh, I, gosh, I see Teresa's already posted it in the comments there. So it's puss caterpillar season. Okay, Sue asked another follow-up question about the um, Cuban tree fogs. And she says, can she purchase sunburn spray like solar cane and spray them like bug spray? I honestly don't know, and I'm not going to necessarily recommend it or advise it. I know that you can get the benzocaine. You can get it in a squeeze tube or probably a spray. Also, so interesting question. It's a good thought. <laughs> it is a thought, yeah. <laughs> but I can't make a blanket recommendation for everybody to try doing that. Um, Lee is with us today, and Lee is one of our 
really, really regular loyal followers down in Broward County. And she grew corn last year and sprayed it once with BT uh, with lots of scouting down there in Broward. Yeah, if you have a caterpillar problem on your plants, you could spray BT or you could spray spinosad. Both of those are technically organic. They're approved for organic production, natural controls for caterpillars that are very safe for you to use. The problem with corn is it gets a lot of caterpillars and you're going to have to spray and keep a real close eye out a lot. So like I said, obviously you can grow corn. We grow a lot of corn here in Florida. You know, we have, uh, you pick corn places right here in Hernando County in the fall and in the spring, but it's just tough. It's a lot of work. So, but you can grow corn in all 50 states. There you go. Okay, today is interesting, thought-provoking question day, I guess. So Alicia asks, how can I get rid of millipedes in my container garden? Just planted over three weeks and saw babies. It is getting harder to grow in ground, so I moved to the raised bed and containers. Growing in containers and raised beds is great. It can be easier than growing in ground because if you grow in ground, you're going to have problems with everything from nematodes to diseases to fungi to bacteria and all kinds of things that may be a problem growing in controlled soil in a pot or raised bed can be easier. Um, millipedes are not dangerous. So depending on whether you have centipedes or millipedes, both are important members of your backyard community. Um, centipedes, I believe, are predators, and they'll feed on other little insects, a lot of times pest insects. Millipedes, I believe, are just vegetarians. They just feed on decaying organic matter. Funny thing is, every summer, especially when we get a lot of rain, I'll get all of a sudden a couple phone calls about millipedes, and people will say that they have just huge numbers of them in their yard. It happens, uh, probably from just environmental conditions, but only is a problem for maybe a few weeks, and then they go away. So if you have more millipedes than normal, be patient. It won't last forever. In a couple weeks, they'll magically go away, and you'll go back to having a few. But they're all important parts of the uh, natural environment out in your backyard. And there's really no specific controls for them, nothing labeled for just millipedes. So enjoy them while you have them. Somebody from our Facebook group says they have marigolds taking over their bed. I feel they're eating nutrients. So, so plants don't really eat nutrients, but any plant that you have growing with your desirable plants, they're competing for water and light and nutrients. So if you have a plant and you have a lot of marigolds there, the marigolds are competing. So keep that in mind. Marigolds flower. Keep that in mind. That's a positive. So you have to really kind of look at all the positives, all the negatives, and make a decision based on what your long-term goal is. So 
So, Deanna, when people ask us questions, do you think, where do you think I start with? What do you think is like the first question I have to ask them sometimes after they've gone through everything imaginable sharing with me? What your question is? Yes. Where do you think I start? Where is the best place to start with any kind of lawn, garden, backyard, plant kind of question? I think you need to look at the facts. So you have what's going on, and you kind of have to figure out why that's happening to help figure out how to solve that solution. So, like you said, the millipedes, it's just this time of the year, and they don't do anything. They're beneficial, so like you said, enjoy them. So you have to start with the facts, why are they there, and then the solution. Exactly. That's all really important. And you find that out by asking people a lot of questions and kind of arranging all the facts and figuring out what's going on. A lot of times people will just kind of start throwing up. I have this and this and that and everything else. And you have to start with, okay, okay, hold on. What is your goal here? What is your overall goal? Right. If your goal is to raise marigolds, Obviously, with this question here, yeah, Marigold's taking over your bed. Hey, congratulations, you're successful. Yeah. <laughs> if you're growing a rose and the Marigolds are taking over and your goal is to just grow that rose, maybe you need to pull some of the Marigolds out. All right. So this is a really good example. And we tell people, especially in like beginner vegetable gardening classes, Lily tells them, for new residents, stop and think and make some notes and draw some diagrams and make a list. What is your overall goal? What is the big thing that you're shooting for? And then we can help you figure out how to get there. Very good. It's just like Google Maps. If you know where you're going, you can put it in and Google Maps will tell you how to get there. There you go. That's a good way of thinking about it. Yeah, yeah, I learned that with um, a lot of experience. Sometimes it's good to, to just make people think and share with you what the goal is, and then you kind of take it from there. Sue says she canned beauty berry jelly a couple days ago. That's great. Have you ever done any canning by any chance, any preserving? I have not. I enjoy when other people can things and give them to me. I mean, if you've got something canned, I will try it, but I have not canned myself. I've canned some stuff, believe it or not, and I've joined and a member of a number of Facebook groups for canning, which is a great way to get good ideas. So for some reason, every week when Lily and I do this, we tend to veer off down the same two paths. One of them always touches on or deals with poop in one way or another from insects or tree frogs or whatever. And the other one kind of goes down the road from on recipe sharing. We share a lot of recipes. We've even thought about starting some kind of cooking show or something. We touch on so many. But I've canned a few things. You know how I mentioned the calabasa earlier? Yeah. I'm going to get so much calabasa probably, I'm going to have to can a lot of it. And you can can winter squash, but you have to pressure can it. So you have to have the equipment and make sure you do it carefully because you know what happens if you don't do it carefully and you screw it up? 
does the whole thing just explode? No, no, no. You, you generally don't have an explosion. Pressure canners, okay. if you read the directions and put the lid on carefully, okay. it's not going to blow up. But your your the stuff that you can is going to become contaminated, oh. and it can make you sick if you eat it. And if nothing else, it will get really ooky in your cabinet or pantry or wherever you're storing the jars. So you don't want things to go bad. But um, I got a bunch of peaches, and a friend of mine shared a recipe for uh, peach vanilla bourbon preserves. And I made a couple jars of that. Oh, my God, it's good. This recipe, I follow the directions and the amounts, and it's pretty heavy-handed on the bourbon. And it, it, it gelled, so it came out like kind of runny jam. So you could use it on ice cream or desserts, or you could use it as jam. So I was pretty happy with the way it turned out. So Sue... That's great. Congratulations that you made beauty berry jelly. I know a lot of people do. Not a fan of the uninteresting flavor. Beauty berries, and I've known other people who made jelly. It's a beautiful color. Have you ever tried beauty berry? I've seen it. Jelly? I haven't tried it. It doesn't have a whole lot of taste. Beauty berries just don't have much taste, but they got a beautiful color. Um she did water bath with her new granite ware type canner that I scrub, boil water in to season it. I get a scum on the jars. Is that calcium precipitate? I know the answer to this one, and I learned it from Facebook groups. When you can stuff and you put water in the canner, whether you're going to do pressure canning or water bath, throw a healthy shot of vinegar in there with it also because the It'll get a, a kind of calcium precipitate on the glass jars, and they look kind of dirty. It doesn't hurt anything. But if you're giving it, like, to Deanna as a gift, she's going to be like, this jar looks kind of dirty. It's not going to look as pretty as you want it to look. Throw a healthy shot, um, you know, an ounce or so of just white vinegar in there, and it will keep the glass clean. So, boom, I was able to answer that one, and I bet nobody here thought that I could answer that one. We always believed in you. I surprised myself some weeks on here. So. <laughs> I see Teresa is putting up uh, links to tree frog information and Cuban tree frogs. Um, I think Alicia may have been referring to the uh, peach vanilla bourbon preserves. It's really good, guys. <laughs> um, let me scroll down here. And Cindy, going back to the Cuban tree frogs, yes, University of Florida does have different recommendations for how you can humanely dispatch of a Cuban tree frog. Make sure it's a Cuban tree frog because you don't want to do this to native tree frogs. We want to encourage them. But you could put benzocaine on their back and then put it in a Ziploc bag and freeze them. Very important. Wear gloves when you're doing this and wash your hands really well. Things out there like frogs and snails can contain a lot of really nasty things on their body that could be very dangerous. They, they all carry and spread and could 
contain different diseases on the exterior of their bodies. So you always want to be careful with them. So make sure you tell the kids in any of your upcoming classes of that nature, wash your hands well a lot. Very important. Uh-oh, here's a common question that we get from Jenny about a mole having a blast in her backyard. Do you know anything about moles or gophers? We have them at my house. We let them do their thing. My dog enjoys chasing and digging the holes. They do. But they're not a huge nuisance to us, so we leave them be. You know, we had a gopher for a couple of months right out front of the office here. And it started over in the corner. And over time, you could tell, because the way you can tell the difference between moles and gophers, moles, when they dig their tunnel, they dig it just below the surface so it makes a mound. So you can actually see where their tunnels go around the yard. Gophers go deeper, so they, they make a hole. Then they go underground where you can't see them. Boom, pop up again and make a hole, make a big pile of dirt. They go 10 feet and do it again, do it again. So you could tell over time where they're heading. The darn thing pretty much made a circle around the whole front yard here at the office. And one morning I saw him when it was really, really foggy during the winter. Because if you go out early in the morning, you'll catch them kicking dirt up out of their hole and their little head will be poking out. And I actually saw him. And one day... He disappeared, gone, never to be seen again. Hawks eat them. I'm sure foxes and other animals eat them. I don't think we have them here. Uh, snakes will eat them. Other predators will eat them. So moles and gophers won't be in your yard forever. They live relatively short lives. They get eaten by a lot of other things out there. So Jenny says, should I leave him or her alone to eat the bugs? Or should I try to get rid of it? And how do you suggest me doing that? There is no good way to get rid of a mole. There are a whole bunch of old wives' tales. Dog fur, hair, chewing gum, other stuff sticking it in the hole or the tunnel. And none of those hurt anything, but none of them technically work very well. The only thing I've seen work well is especially with a mole. If you go out there and start doing those kind of things and keep as it makes the raised hills, just go out there and gently push them down with your foot and pat the soil back out. If you aggravate the heck out of them, they'll eventually get angry with you and they'll move into your neighbor's yard and boom, problem solved. So, pass it along. <laughs> so just aggravate the heck out of them and that helps to move them along and move into somebody else's yard. But the funny thing is, is they'll be there for a while and all of a sudden one day they'll disappear and they're gone. And the, the holes and the raised soil and everything will eventually, after a couple of rains, settle back out. If you push it down, it's not going to damage your lawn. Your lawn will be fine. It's going to, you know, outgrow the little bit of damage. So we have a vegetable gardening question here from somebody. They have okra and eggplant growing in the same bed. Okra is growing like crazy, but eggplant keeps flowering and leaves, but no fruit yet. Do you know the answer to that one? That's an easy one. I, I 
don't know the answer, but I do know that the flowering usually leads to the formation of the eggplant. So it probably just takes some time, would be my guess. That's exactly correct. It's going to take a little time because okra does not, well, okra is a fairly tropical vegetable, or okra is a very tropical vegetable, and eggplant is kind of tropical. So eggplant is going to survive the summer in your garden most of the time, not all the time. Sometimes summer weather just does it in. But your eggplant plant is not going to give you eggplants during the heat of summer. Once the days get a little bit shorter and it cools off a little bit, like this is early September, within the next month, your eggplant plant, the flowers are going to give you fruit. Okra is very tropical. Okra loves it when it's 100 degrees out, rains twice a day, 100% humidity, doesn't bother okra at all. So your okra is should be doing great now. Your okra is going to decline as it starts to cool off a little bit in the fall. Because okra likes it super hot. Eggplant can tolerate it when it's super hot, but it's not going to give you eggplants. So be patient with the eggplant. You will get more. And for anybody who has pepper plants that they had in their garden from spring that are still alive, really soon they're going to give you more peppers too. And Basem is making a hibiscus sabdarifa jam. And since I can't pronounce that, that means I'm not really familiar with what that is. <laughs> that sounds great, though. Um, I tell you, a lot of times you might think, well, canning, you know, I can can what? Green beans, carrots, that's about it. Oh, no, there's lots of things that you can can. You can put together some really, some of the different jams and jellies. And the peach bourbon vanilla one, it's delicious. And Sue says her husband squeezes lemons into water several times a day. That's good. That's very, very good for you. Very healthy. Instead of composting the mess, I save them slice them thin and make marmalade. You could do that too. Um, I've never tried making lemon marmalade. I'm sure you could do it. You can make orange marmalade and you know what kind of oranges work really, really well for that? What? The sour ones, the sour oranges. Ooh. So, so if you have an orange tree, yeah, if you have an orange tree that froze back and it grew back from the rootstock and this oranges are really sour and you're thinking, like, I can't make orange juice out of this and I don't want to eat them, they're perfect for marmalade because you know what marmalade recipes call for lots of? Sugar. Sugar. And sugar fixes everything. So the lemon one is probably really good if you like the flavor of lemon. It probably is, yeah. And I like lemon. Um I really, really like Myers lemon, and um, you're almost never able to find it. Sometimes at farmers markets or grocery stores, Myers lemons are actually not really sour, and are really, really good. Interesting. And, and we have another question about uh, roses. I see leaves have white spots. What can I do to fix it? Anybody who has roses growing. 
they get hammered here in Central Florida during the heat of summer. So they probably have black spot, white spots, diseases, insect problems, dieback of some of the branches, probably have like cankers on the branch, you know, bad spots on the branches. What you're going to want to do around now or really soon is go out there, take a real hard look at the rose first and come up with a plan and prune it back. Get rid of all that dead stuff, disease stuff, get it shaped, get the branches where you want them. Because fall here is a really good time for roses. The weather is more conducive for them to grow and flower. So it's real close to time to get out there and clean up the roses and kind of help it recover from summer and get it ready for fall. Because the only time you're going to get really good flowering here is in the fall and the winter. Central Florida is not the best for roses, except for rambling roses, southern roses, the native ones. I think Teresa is impressed about that, uh, that jam recipe of mine. You're really talking it up. <laughs> well, see, I talked it up too much. Now Alicia's asking, is there a canning class or classes in the future? I am in Orange County and they don't offer canning. There's so many people canning and botulism is real. I guess that's kind of the thought for today. Yes, botulism is real. Canning is very doable, but you want to do it carefully and correctly. You know, I'll look into that. Because I work very closely with um, Wendy Lynch, who has been a guest on here before. And she is the Central District uh, Family and Consumer Science uh, Coordinator, I guess. She's over the whole district. And I'll ask her if she knows of any canning classes. So, Alicia, either tune in live next week or watch the recording, and I'll be sure to put some information up about upcoming canning classes. And if there are none, we need to do something about that and have some classes and record them. I'll find out if anybody has done them in the recent past and recorded them so that I can share the link with you. Because nice thing about doing all this stuff online you can record it. And if people can't be there live and in person, it's recorded. So you can still get all the information. So I'll check into that. I know that there's a lot of um, interest in canning. Oh my gosh, I got a lot of comments here. Let me go. Let me start kind of clicking through these here because we need to wrap it up shortly. Um, I have a question for Deanna. <laughs> yes, I was a member of 4-H when I was young. That's uh, how I kind of got started um, in extension. I, growing up, I was in 4-H and FFA. Um, I was heavily involved in both at the county and state level. I participated in almost everything that 4-H had to offer at the state level. Um, so when I grew up, when I was growing up, I was gonna be an ag teacher and that was it. Um, and then in college, I had the opportunity to intern um, in Escambia County 4-H all the way up in the Panhandle. Um, and it was one of the best experiences that I've had is um, like growing and it was a real full circle moment for me uh, doing 4-H as a kid and then now doing it as an adult. Um, so, yes, I was in 4-H when I was younger and that is really what led me to be here. 
Didn't you win an award recently? I did. Um, I won a literature award from the Florida Association of Extension 4-H Agents. So during my internship, I wrote the uh, Florida 4-H Tailgating Handbook, um, and it was published in EDIS, um, and then it recently won an award. So, Congratulations. I was going to mention that to you. And at the conference that I went to last week, I didn't win anything. So congratulations. (laughs) Glad you won something. That's great. Um, We have a question for Care Mom 4. Is the Little Rock Cannery still open? Yes, it is. And if you look online, they do have a website. They are open and they still do canning there. And they have really, really big equipment and classes. So you can check their website for information on that. Linda asks, how long will armadillos stay in your gardens? They've dug up the roots of many plants, especially my impatience. They will hang around indefinitely. Not that any individual armadillo lives forever, but they will make like nests or homes. I've seen them make like a hole under a shed or the edge of a house or porch or something, and they'll hang out. So armadillos hang around. No really good way to get rid of them or nothing that I would want to suggest here in public. Um, And you have to be careful with armadillos. They carry bubonic plague on their bodies, potentially, believe it or not. And Jenny says that she looks like a crazy fool tamping the tunnel mounds daily. Okay. Don't worry about it. It's just your neighbors. Don't worry about what your neighbors think. Put some music on. They'll think you're dancing. There you go. So so your so Jenny's moles should be good and mad. That's good. Aggravate the heck out of them and they'll move on. Um, my soil is fitting a good tilling from this little mole. My neighbors probably think I've lost my mind with the marching is slow. <laughs> Nothing pushing the tunnel flat. So don't worry about the neighbors. You know what? Your neighbors probably think you're crazy, and I know that most of my neighbors are crazy, too. Um, Alicia asks a very good question here. When can we fertilize after planting seedlings? You can fertilize lightly after the plants are germinated and up and growing. You don't want to fertilize when you're planting seeds because the fertilizer can suck the water out of the seeds and you're going to get poor germination so plant seeds let them sprout and come up and then fertilize and you'll be good um somebody says thank you so much this is really helpful we try our best hopefully everybody liked having deanna on here let me know if we should invite her back Um, Alicia, you're very welcome. Yeah, there is a real need in Florida for people to do it correctly and safely. Um, Linda says that roses on the Fortuniana rootstock fare better in Florida. That is true. A lot of times if you order roses like David Austin roses and tea roses, you order them from a catalog and they're beautiful roses. They're the ones that grow really well up north, and they'll live, like, for generations. 
you can say, oh, you know, I have my great grandmother's rose bush in the backyard and it blooms every year. Here in Florida, they don't last anywhere near as long. I've been told if you get four years out of a rose here, that's pretty good. And a lot of the David Austin and the ones that are on northern rootstocks just don't do really well here. Do you know why that is? Do you know why what really takes it out of roses here in Florida? What's it like here in summer? It is hot. And what else happens? A lot of rain. <laughs> and then how does it feel the moment you walk out the door in the late afternoon? Ooh, the humidity. Very good. You hit all three. It's really hot, really rainy, and really humid. The sun is really intense. And a lot of roses that do well up north just don't do well here. Oh, and I see that Teresa showed a link to the Little Rock Cannery, which is still in existence here in Hernando County. So you can go ahead and visit their website for information. Um Here's a very nice one for you from Cindy. Thank you for sharing that info about your involvement with 4-H. Congratulations on your awards and achievements. That's great. I love watching the young children and their dedication. Thank you. <laughs> and Linda says, do you have to actually come in contact with the armadillo to get the plague? Or do they contaminate the garden? You have to come in contact with them. And they have to actually have it on their body. Not all of them do. But you don't know from just looking at the armadillo whether it does or not. So it's one of those kind of cautionary things. Be really careful if you ever touch an armadillo. Same with snails. Snails can contain or have certain diseases on them. Maybe they have it. Maybe they don't. But you want to be careful. Use gloves. Better yet, don't, don't manhandle snails and armadillos. And wash up really well. So we're getting a bunch of thank yous. Uh, Monique says, Louis Philippe roses do great here. It's an old garden rose. So good suggestion. Good advice. I'm not the expert on specifically what varieties are going to do well here. So Monique, thank you for, for sharing that. And let's go ahead and share my email here if anybody has any further questions. Um, if you didn't catch one of those links, you can go ahead and shoot me an email. Or you can just contact the office. Teresa is here today. She's the one that's going to answer the phone. Uh, Deanna is here at the office also if you need to get a hold of her. And... Here is Deanna's email. So if you have any questions about 4-H anywhere in the state of Florida, Deanna can help point you in the right direction and help get you and your kids plugged in, right? Absolutely. Okay. And what else do we have here? Uh, please, if you don't already do that, follow us on Facebook, our office Facebook page. The short name for it is Hernando EXT stands for Hernando Extension. And all of our classes and everything else we have coming up is there under um, events. We make posts about it. We try to keep people updated on what's happening with uh, new invasive plants. 
You know, I just read uh, a news article today that I'm going to have to share about a new invasive lizard here in Florida. Well, I think it's been here since the 60s. And do you know where this invasive lizard came from and where most of the other ones come from? It's, it's how it got here. I would say probably down south. Yeah, okay. yeah. So south Florida has more invasive lizards than they do have native lizards. They have a bunch. Yeah. But unfortunately, it's from the pet trade. Mm -hmm. People get lizards and stuff as pets. They get tired of them. They think, well, lizards like to live outdoors, which is true, but you don't want to release invasive non-native lizards outdoors. Just don't do that. Don't do it, guys. Find a new home for it. You can tap, contact FWC, the Fish and Wildlife Commission. They have a program where you can turn in unwanted pets. They do use them for educational purposes, zoos, stuff like that. So there's better things to do other than just throw that lizard out in the woods. But this one has a little um, strange projection or hood or hat on its head and if it's being chased by a predator it can run across water so pretty interesting and i'd never heard of it before i'll have to share something on facebook about that so follow us on facebook and you can keep on top of all those different interesting things coming up and guys thank you so much for tuning in today and Deanna, thank you so much for joining me today. Otherwise, it would have been just me today and I get lonely. Thanks for having me. Thank you. So we're going to have you back again. And Teresa says, I guess that lizard is going to be in our newsletter this month. So if you want to sign up for our newsletter, you know what? Best thing to do is just call the office. So... Here is our phone number once again. If you call the office and you get a hold of Teresa on the phone, you can give her your email and you can start getting our monthly um, email newsletter from the office and learn about cool lizards that are now in South Florida that run across water. So that is a definite bonus. So Cindy, thank you also. Um, it looks like it's that time of morning, so I think we're going to wrap it up. And if you ever need to get a hold of Teresa, here is her email address. Feel free to shoot her an email with questions to sign up for our email newsletter or anything else. We're here to help, here to answer your questions. And we will be back here again next Thursday. Let me look. Am I going to be here next Thursday? Yes, I will be. And Lily will once again not be here next Thursday. She's still on vacation doing something. I'm not even sure what the heck she's doing. So um, I'll try to line up another guest for next week. And we'll have Deanna. But Deanna, you want to come back on here again sometime? Yeah, absolutely. Okay, great. <laughs> okay, well, thanks again, everybody. And we will see everyone back here again at 10 a.m. next Thursday morning. And until then... You guys have a nice, happy, safe week. We'll see you next week. Bye. Bye.